So um, this is the Interledger community call. It's Wednesday, the 22nd of Jan. Um, we've got three topics on the agenda today. Uh, first up, we're gonna talk very quickly about uh, latest work in open payments, um, some updates to the open payments spec website and uh, any other discussion we wanna have around use cases and so on. Uh, we also wanna talk quickly about um, the performance testing, seeing if we can revitalize the performance testing efforts that we had in the past. And then finally, we'll talk a bit about um, putting these core recordings in a podcast feed and making them available as a podcast. So to kick things off, I'm gonna start with the uh, discussion around uh, open payments. Um, for anyone who is catching up or isn't aware, open payments uh, is uh, an idea that we kicked off probably I want to say three or four months ago. Um, really, it's an effort to try and coordinate how you would interact between wallets to set up a payment. So uh, historically, we had a pretty simple protocol for setting up an interledger payment. And setting up an interledger payment means basically getting the two end parties talking to each other and establishing a way to share uh, either a shared secret or some way to basically um, determine how the fulfillment and condition will be generated and passed back and and you know establish the terms of the payment so uh when i say we had a simple one it was called the simple payment setup protocol so spsp is still um you know is documented and is currently the way web monetization payments are set up uh open payments is an attempt to take that a step further really build it out for other use cases try and leverage some of the existing tech out there and standards like oauth and OpenID and so on um we can talk a bit more about oauth specifically um, maybe matt has some ideas to share there as well um but what i wanted to mention on the call today is we have a website where we've been sort of capturing all of this at openpayments.dev. And it started out very simplistically as a single page dump of like a markdown file. We've moved it onto a Soros site and have um, incrementally been adding use cases. And the plan is to um, spend some time on that this over the course of this week to finish adding use cases and also go through some of the general stuff and make sure it still aligns with our latest thinking. Um, we're using the GitHub repo behind that site as a way to track issues and have discussions as well as um, the open payments channel in the Interledger Slack. So really just an update and then kind of invitation if anyone has thoughts on that work so far, or wants to discuss anything there, let's do that now. Uh, so anyone had a chance to look at the site or anyone have comments or anything they wanna um, discuss under the sort of general open payments umbrella? Adrian, this is uh, this is David. Uh, great site, by the way. It's it's coming along well. Thanks for putting all the work into it uh, that you guys have. Question I have is around. We, we sort of touched on this briefly last call, I think, but um, it looks like now uh, currently, in order for two open pay wallets to talk, they have to sort of be registered with each other. So like, in Rafiki Money, there's like register an OAuth client. Um, is there an issue or someplace like we could discuss that one more? I mean, I don't want to take up this call necessarily for it, but uh, getting two wallets to build a peer together, I guess, is that a thing or am I misreading that 
that no I, I think you're right so i think um in oauth terminology that would be the cli client registration um so OAuth has a concept of dynamic client registration so you can kind of do it uh dynamically <laughs> uh but but yeah that's that's basically once you start speaking to an as um as a client generally that communication is understood to be authenticated um and so there's a sort of cursor step that some as's will support where you can dynamically register yourself so uh, I think good idea that we log an issue to track that. That's something we've sort of punted on for now. Um, it's a it's a hard problem, and one way to think of it is um, like merchant registration or um, like a merchant registry of some sort. We think, and actually Matt and I discussed that a little bit today. Like that's one that's one of the great benefits you get out of the card networks is you know that when you're interacting with a card accepting merchant they've had to jump through quite a few hoops to get to that point. Like they're either registered with a PSP or with an acquiring bank and that PSP or acquiring bank can't afford to take on customers, merchant customers that break the rules of the scheme because if they lose their access to the scheme, that's basically their livelihood. So that's a value you get out of being in the card world. And we want to, whoa, sorry, you wouldn't just came past. <laughs> do a whole lot of windows shut um and and so that's something we would need to sort of replicate in interledger world but what we talked about last time was how we could maybe um do that using the same infrastructure we use to secure routing broadcasts so somehow establish um, maybe it's a public key infrastructure or some sort of registry or federated network of participants um, so that if I've got a wallet and I want to send money to a merchant, so I'm checking out and my wallet's never heard of that merchant, um, there's a way of verifying that that merchant is on the network and is who they say they are, um, probably through some sort of federated relationship back to the wallet. Uh, so long story short, unsolved problem, very keen to solve that one. I think that could be a massive differentiator for Interledger versus other clearing systems, uh, making it easier for people to onboard onto the network, but still keep the network secure and trusted. Um, so yeah, uh, that's, I guess that's my view of that issue. I don't know if, I can't see if Matt's on the call or not, because um, we did discuss today or Don, if they have any sort of different ideas on that, but um, very keen to work on that specific problem um, generally for interledger not just for open payments if if uh, others are keen to explore that yeah it's a great great observation i forgot about uh, the connection to routing pki uh, i created issue 20 then in the open payments repo there's a link to it just to clarify it sounds like maybe one option and i wrote this but i um if I'm, if I'm clarifying what you just said, one option would be like there's some kind of registry that merchants can register to that's operated by somebody and wallets can rely on that rather than having to go through like a manual like register mm. your auth line kind of thing or is that, did I mishear yeah. you? No, I, I think it, it has to be, um, I suspect the way this will end up working and this is a big kind of conjecture is, is 
to bootstrap this, maybe something like the Interledger Foundation or someone will host a registry. But I think in the long term, it has to be some sort of federated network where, you know, um, you don't have a single registry where you have to go and register yourself. It's some, something a bit more decentralized than that. And it's possible, you know, whatever you want to call it, a web of trust or something, it's possible for two entities on the network to establish that, you know, to, to communicate with each other, maybe share public keys for the purposes of signing information they share with each other and be able to verify that those public keys belong to an entity that, you know, is trusted by others on the network, is part of the network, something like that. So, um, like I say, it's a, it's a kind of a big problem generally, like this whole decentralized PKI concept. But I do think if we limit the scope to being, how do you identify people on the interledger network? Um, and we use some of the other things we have available to us through that assumption, uh, we could come up with a, uh, an elegant solution. Cool, thanks. So, so yeah, uh, I, I do think registry might be a good way to bootstrap. Um, uh, we should probably, I know the Interledger Foundation is, um, by the way, for anyone who's unaware, is sort of, uh, pretty close to being fully formed and registered as a 501c or whatever it is in the US as a not-for-profit and et cetera, et cetera. So um, the reason that's taken so long, by the way, is uh, originally um, when we started this community, um, we tried to set up the Interledger Foundation in Luxembourg and Ripple actually had an office in Luxembourg with you know some engineers, they were all working on Interledger stuff. Uh, and that just turned out to be way more difficult than anticipated. And so this is a second attempt at getting that going, but just doing it in the US. Um, so hopefully that'll be set up pretty soon. And then, you know, that provides us like a legal structure from which we could do things like host registries and actually have documentation about how that would work and, and you know, take some responsibility of for some sort of centralized stuff that's needed to bootstrap us. But obviously I think the goal should be to have all of this decentralized as much as possible in the long term. Um, any other thoughts on open payments? Any other stuff anyone want to discuss? Um, Adrian, uh, I just heard from Matt, he's joining imminently, but he uh, also pasted a link into that issue around um, some federated identity stuff as well, so. Oh, cool, okay. Uh, on the issue? Yeah, in, uh, it's issue 20. Um, oh yeah, I put that, it's the link in the chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So, so the OpenID does have, OpenID Connect has this um, idea they're working on, yeah, for federated identity. So that could be a good one we could leverage. Um, out of interest, another thing that um, we've been following closely is some work at IETF to, to basically define what they call a uh, successor to OAuth. Um, we think it models way better onto what we're trying to do. It's, it's under the banner of a thing called TX Auth at the moment. And where that is in terms of uh, processes, they're trying to finalize the working group charter. Um, it currently looks like the working group will be chartered and start meeting from the next IETF 
get together, which is Vancouver in March. So if that does happen, we'll try and send somebody um, from Coil side to attend that and present the open payments use cases as something we'd like considered in the development of that work. Um, we can keep you up to speed on how that goes. Um, but the, it looks like um, TX auth may be a good way to uh, a good model on which to build out open payments as opposed to OAuth 2. Um, but for now, we're sticking with OAuth 2 because it, it's, you know, it's the standard, there's tooling, et cetera. So just making people aware that's something we're looking at. And if anyone has an interest, um, let us know. And if anyone's planning to be at IETF, let us know. It would be cool to meet up. Adrian, is that a thing that we can join already? Or is that like, there's not even a thing on the IATF website for that? Oh yeah, so there's a, um, there's a mailing list you can join. Um, if you go and look for TX Auth, you should find like a way to join the TX Auth mailing list. My understanding of how this works is generally like IETF will create a mailing list very easily. And that's just a way of getting people to kind of convene around an idea. And then if that mailing list results in people agreeing on um, some work to do uh, the, that needs to produce a charter for a working group and there needs to be an area within ITF that that would be chartered. So I think this would be within the apps area. So then the area director for apps would um, base, I think they, I don't know if they approve the charter or if they endorse the charter or whatever, but yeah, that's the process. So there's a, there's a mailing list you can join already um and most of that right now is finalizing the charter text which looks like it's pretty much final um which is means it's a good time to join because you can go and look at the latest proposed charter and get a feel for what they'll be working on and um there was something else i was going to say but i forgot <laughs> so yeah that's that you can i would recommend doing that oh yes and then the uh, main sort of protagonist behind that work have a, a website where they, um, a really good website where they define a lot of what they're trying to achieve and provide examples and even sample code for implementations. So I would highly recommend looking at that as well. That's called oauth.xyz, uh, xyz for those of us who are not American. Um, I'll paste that in the chat as well. Um, so, oh yeah, thanks Sabine. Um, and this is their website. So yeah, that's some good context on those things. Um, basically what I think if, if we went this route, uh, open payments would be sort of an implementation of um, a type of like a type of transactions or the types of transactions that you could authorize through this mechanism. It's, uh, it's really nice because it, simplifies the whole process a lot more. It doesn't assume things like you're gonna need to use browser redirects, which OAuth does and stuff like that. So it, it fits into different operating models a lot better. Uh, any other thoughts on open payments? Um, anything anyone wanted to ask, discuss? Yes, discuss about open payments or just interledger matters in general? Uh, so, so let's close out uh, open payments. We've got uh, performance testing and core recordings on the agenda, but um, we can go to any other business straight after that again, if you'd like one, to one, something else. One, one yeah. quick thing on open payments before we close that out. 
Um, one thing I was kind of thinking about and wanted to kind of get like how you envision some of this being implemented, or at least I, um, when I was looking at the Rafiki money and Rafiki wallet demo, it seems like it was using like a local stream client to send packets to some ILP endpoint. Is that correct? Is that is that out is that like out of date with kind of the current version of the spec? Um, the best person to ask on that is Matt because Matt does all the hard work. I just I just sit back and okay. think of great so, things for Matt to do. I, I can answer that. So essentially, the more the the, the discussion about dropping loopback um, happened sort of like or when we decided that was sort of mid November. And sort of towards the end of November, our team's been focused very much on, on financial inclusion work for the Gates Foundation. So we haven't touched a lot of that stuff until this week. So part of our team's job now is updating the spec and then also updating both Rafiki Money and the Rafiki Shops to reflect what our new thinkings are of the spec. So yes, in short, uh, it is out of date with the current thinking of the spec. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, one kind of question I had is, um, this this is kind of an implementation detail, but I think would enable like more interoperability between both use cases um, is like modeling um, invo like uh, mandates rather as an ephemeral sub account at the interledger layer. So you could optionally like you know, you could use the Open Payments API to post an invoice to the wallet and get and trigger the uh, provider to use their stream sender to uh, initiate a stream connection and do the effective push payment to send the money for that invoice and spend from that mandate. Or you could, um, if it was like an interledger layer account, that's ultimately doing the accounting for that mandate. You could also, um, there could also be a protocol that enables um, sending interledger packets to that connector using, you know, HTTP or ILP over HTTP or BTP, um, but the accounting layer uh, between those two things, uh, those two different methods of spending from the mandate or pulling from the mandate rather would be the same. I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, so I can tell you our current implementation of the actual Rafiki money does the second model, weirdly enough, where a mandate is a sub-account and you're spending that with the loopback. Um, my suspicion is that, so I, like, I think the goals, we've got to be clear about what our goals are. Um, I don't not foresee us doing the second one, but looking and having dealt with real wallets trying to implement this, they don't want to have to deal with that low level stuff as much as possible. So I, I can foresee people who want to implement that can, and then you just have to make sure you're downstream so your users know how to use that or you provide SDKs. Nothing stops, open payments doesn't stop that. That's, that's a business case decision. And that's what we're trying to make sure we, we encompass. So like if you want to have a concept of a mandate that you can do with that, I, I don't see us stopping you doing that. Yeah, but the, the, the problem that, like, like my concern then is, like, if that's an entirely, like, distinct API that requires maybe, like, 
like a separate implementation, um, then we're, we're bifurcate, like for application developers, you're kind of, we're kind of bifurcating like, oh, you can choose this path or this other path, but we're not going, like, there's no like path to potentially interoperating them. Definitely agree, like, yeah. like the goal. Like, if I can I, build on what, if I can build on what Matt's saying, I think the implication of what Matt has said is that we won't see a lot of demand for raw LP access. Like we, we, we really thought that would be, uh, we like the idea of that. We had some, what I thought were quite elegant ways of using raw LP access is like, that's your API sending LP packets. But I think the reality will be um, that that places too much demand on applications, like applications needing to actually understand LP itself, I think is less likely than applications delegating that to another service and then just calling regular kind of rest apis so when you want to spend from a mandate you'll just send an invoice to the mandate and say pay this invoice and on behind the scenes the wallet will um, check that the person submitting the invoice has authorization to spend against that mandate which as you say is kind of a sub account and if they do it'll deal with the fact that it has to open a payment stream send the money close the stream etc um, I think what Matt's saying is there's no reason why you couldn't also expose royal, raw ILP access, like limited by a mandate. I just, I like, I like that idea. And that was sort of what motivated the loopback thinking. But the reality is I, I think in, when it comes down to implementation, that's just, it's unlikely to be the way people want to do things. Um, but uh, so, so I appreciate that if you have both, then you, you start to fragment, um, the ecosystem and you're not interoperable. I would say, um, I would propose that we focus on the on on the simple APIs first, like submit an invoice and let the entity that you submit the invoice to deal with paying that invoice over ILP. Um, and if there's demand for raw ILP access, then we think about adding that later. Sure. Um... Just to, like one use, like so, um, the there was a form post by uh, this person, Matts, around you know, like uh, streaming per or paying per second of streaming video, and that to me seems like like a key use case that you know, I'll like raw ILP access is kind of necessary to enable. Like if you, if you don't have that, you don't get like really granular reporting of how much is being spent in the application, um, which I think is like a really compelling aspect of streaming payments, like seeing the balance change really frequently, just like viscerally. Um, you don't get like, there's all the overhead of like creating like a new stream connection each time, probably more latency if you, if, you know, you do it kind of the more open payments way. And so like, I think applications of like that are, you know, super like, like those are brand new things that ILP enables that no other, like as far as I know, no other kind of competing technology enables. Um, and I think it's, uh, it, it would, it would be, um, but like if, if we don't like have a really good, um, demo, like a, a simple way to also, uh, uh, enable a use case like that, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I, I think for that use case, 
Like that would be what we describe as web monetization in open payments, which to be fair is probably not well documented at the moment because there's been a lot of discussion on that. Um, I know Brandon's logged a bunch of issues. Um, there's been a lot of chat in, in the Slack. So I think we haven't, there's definitely not consensus about the right way to do streaming payments. Um, and and I, I agree with you that in that case, access to that uh, low level data is important. But even in that case, like if you look at how we've proposed to do web monetization today, basically if I want um, to do kind of pool web monetization, if you like, or um, trying to think of a way to, so, so, so if we take the use case that you're talking about where like I want to stream content and view it. Now imagine I'm browsing the web and to view that content, I'm going to pay for it out of a wallet of mine. So now I want to, how do I want to do that? Do I want to give websites the ability to pull money from that wallet as they need it to pay for the content? Or do I want to explicitly push money to them and in return, they give me content. If it's the latter, that's pretty much how web monetization already works today. In which case the open payments interaction is really just how do I set up what we call a session um, so that as I stream money to the content provider, they're able to track that money and correlate it back to content. Um, and I think that's all they need. Um, so it's not necessarily that they that my wallet needs to expose to me the raw data. It's more the content provider that needs to be able to see raw, like, you know, streams of money coming in in real time and be able to respond to that. Um, so I don't think we like exclude that, but I, I would um, distinguish that from use cases like e-commerce and tipping and so on, where it's a single distinct payment and the yeah. complexity of understanding all the packets that are exchanged to complete that is definitely um, not necessary. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, agree with that. I would say like the, the, the former, um, use case makes more like makes more sense to me because I, I imagine you would want the website, like if the video paused, you would want them to stop streaming. Um, and if the, if it's initiated, if the, if it's a stream push initiated at the wallet rather than the, the website itself sending the packets, then I am at like, uh, uh, for us at coil today, um, the way we, we, you know, we pay sites on behalf of users, but we don't pay those sites out of the user's wallet. We, we're, we have, we are effectively like a, um, an aggregator in some respects. And if you wanted to have a model where I visit a site that wants web monetization, but I have given a mandate, let's say to my wallet to be able to make payments on my behalf out of, um, you know, or I've given Coil a mandate to be able to make payments on my behalf out of, let's say my Uphold wallet, then maybe there's a mandate at Uphold that Coil has authorization to access. And every time I visit a site, Coil streams money out of my Uphold wallet to that content receiver. So that would be slightly different, for example, to how Coil does things today. And then the question is like, think the mandates model works well there but probably if i'm streaming like directly from coil all coil needs to do is create a session and then start streaming money to that session so that the content provider is able to track like how much is coming in for that session 
and it's the session that's sort of the important thing at a business logic layer like what is the total money spent put into that session and how much content has been consumed and that's kind of up to the website to track so, so Kincaid, I think you're talking to some of the two biggest proponents for what you want, but like from the realities of dealing with the wallets, like and being in some meetings there, the concept of raw LP access is far from becoming a reality, unfortunately. And I think if we can start chipping away at like getting in, them in with open payments with an API that's very simple to understand, they can start understanding the threat models more because that's the biggest thing most of them talk about is like, we don't understand the threat models and like, we don't understand this. So if we can start like getting them to understand it more and getting it into their ecosystems, selling the next steps, I think is the goal, but we'll get there. Okay, that's, that's an interesting point. Um, yeah. I, I, must, I must say like building a wallet, so building a Rafiki money has helped us a lot in understanding some of these issues. Like when you build just a little prototype using sort of the raw ILP components that we have and you send money back and forward and you stream it and you go, okay, well that's, you know, that was easy enough. That's very different to when you have to bind it to some sort of like use case and some sort of business operation. And you're saying, well, I'm actually trying to send exactly $10 to pay for something online. Um, like, at a, at a sort of business logic layer, I don't care about, you know, streams and packets and all of that stuff. What I care about is how much money arrived and how do I correlate it back to um, a specific receipt I issued or invoice I issued and stuff like that. And, and we're talking about like volumes of data and volumes of packets that for a lot of the wallets, um, they've never had to deal with anything like that before. Like you talk, they're talking about, you know, TPS numbers in the thousands at the most, probably hundreds, maybe tens. And now we're suddenly saying, oh no, well actually you need to be tracking literally like tens to hundreds of thousands of these things per second. And they, they're basically saying, well, no, like we, at best we'll, we'll track an aggregate of those. And so I think the plan here is, open payments should give you a way to do that aggregation in a standardized fashion so that, you know, you can sort of abstract away uh, the ILP complexity to some extent. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, I guess the last point I would kind of make is like, I personally kind of view the um, like monetizing web content a little differently from maybe coil in terms of like, I think it'll be more likely maybe at least in the short term that like user, like um, content creators will have a, you know, have a specific price they want for their content. And, you know, I as a user will like approve some kind of payment for that content. If it's a, you know, a streaming video, then it could be like, you know, per, per second of, of video or, or something like that, a, a pull payment authorized for something like that. Um, like, it seems a little weird to me that like, okay, you just kind of like yeah. arbitrarily. Um, yeah, no, definitely good points around like understanding the threat model. Um, and like kind of there's more complexity there. If it's ultimately implemented the same way, then, you know, then like maybe it's, it's a similar threat model, but um, yeah. Mm -hmm. no. that, that would be uh, cool. We, it would be, it'd be quite cool to um, capture the sort of, that pull web monetization use case, if you have some time, um, even if you just provide like an outline of it as a, as an additional use case page on the, on the site, 
um, that'd be that'd be really useful. We can then we can sort of flesh it out from there. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Thanks, Kincaid. Um, everyone happy if we move on from open payments? Um, I know Don wanted to chat about uh, performance testing. Last call for open payments. No. Okay, Don. Hey, um, thanks. Um, so just more of a question, like, is the community still interested in it? I think it'll be more towards the guys that are actually working on connectors. Because um, I saw um, David started a repo for the for performance testing. Yes. Uh, let me just speak briefly to it, and then maybe I can turn it over to Ian, who's sort of heading that up on our side. Um, I did create a repo called the ILP performance. Put a link to that in the chat. Uh, brief aside, I've moved the Java connector codebase to a uh, out of my own personal repo into Interledger 4J, which is just a GitHub organization to kind of uh, track all, all of the connector-related Java ILP code. So ILP performance is, is in there. Um, Right now, there are like there are four sort of topologies that I've envisioned, and so happy if anyone wants to come along and propose changes or or other topologies that we should test under load. Um, but you can read about those on that repo, and then um, sort of tracking the work in this connector issue, which is five forty seven. Um, Ian, I don't know if you want to say more or talk about sort of where we are and what's coming. Sure. So as far as <clears throat> the performance project is concerned, right now there's not a lot of stuff in master. There is a branch open. If you decide to look at the code, I apologize in advance for any burning sensation you may feel in your retinas or overall eye area because it's very much a work in progress right now. So things are a little bit in a rough state. That said, I, I was interested in maybe taking five or 10 minutes to talk about the path that we ended up walking down to try and get a performance test running. I don't know if people would be interested in that or if it's just worth talking about the, the end of the journey and future steps. I think it'll be quite interesting just to like hear your experiences and sort of how you envision it in the end. Um, and then I, I can also like share some of the things that, um, that we saw when we were uh, testing it out. Sure. So I'll throw myself a little bit of a pity party here for some of the, the speed bumps that we hit along the way. So initially we were trying to just get a very, basic shoot from the hip approach going and rather than not, neither Noah or I who's on the call and also has been working on this with me are well versed in Scala. So the, the two technologies we were looking at were JMeter and Scala and, or JMeter and Gatling, sorry. And initially we decided to see what we could do in JMeter because I have a lot of experience with it and oftentimes you can 
prototype things very, very quickly in JMeter and then go back later and add different configuration to it. We immediately ran headfirst into the brick wall known as OER encoding with JMeter because you have to pull the external quilt jars into JMeter in order to be able to speak and parse OER unless you strictly operate with fixed byte strings and even then, or fixed arrays of bytes. And even then you end up in some weird states with JMeter because most of JMeter's decoration that it could offer in the forms of bean shell and, and things of that nature ends up largely working off of strings and maps of strings. And if you convert what you've tried to do with OER back and forth to a string, you, from our experience, end up losing some fidelity and the content length actually doesn't get set correctly. So you end up losing some percentage of requests. So we quickly ended up abandoning JMeter, moved towards Gatling instead, which if you haven't looked at it, Gatling is a DSL written in Scala for load testing that allows you to craft up something similar to what a sampler might look like in JMeter. And then you just have another D uh, an extension of that same DSL that allows you to configure users and ramp up. So started writing tests in that. We ended up uh, working out a bit of a kludge to get things to function in that. Gatling is very much biased towards parsing JSON as the response type when you get something back. So if you actually want to inspect responses to see if they're successful, which we kind of need to do with Interledger because you will get HTTP error codes in the event of a failure in terms of maybe a resource doesn't exist or the database is down or something like that. But any other type of error code from an HTTP standpoint is communicated as a 200 but requires inspection of the packet in order to actually understand whether or not it succeeded. So we ended up with Gatling's API do, using, they have a response transformer and we actually end up converting the OER response into JSON and then effectively reconstruct the response in order for it to be compatible with Gatling's DSL and allow for easy inspection. Because otherwise you end up in this weird situation that it's, it's not the right way to use Gatling, but you end up in this weird situation where <clears throat> you have to separate the actual request and response and parsing of the response. It's just not designed to really do that. It's designed to do it all in one go. So we put that together. We got a functional, just very basic load test that <clears throat> there's nothing fancy in terms of how it ramps up or how long it runs. It just starts a stream, slams some packets through and makes sure that they're successful in measures of time. Where we ran into an, a new set of headaches was we started to explore some tools to schedule Gatling tests. The, the initial two that we looked at were flood.io, which is pretty small, pretty new, and BlazeMeter. In both situations, while, while both of those can handle Gatling, in both situations, it became really difficult to 
try to get our test to work in there because we had to <clears throat> import third-party libraries into their infrastructure in order to, to use the, the quilt serialization and deserialization of OER. Both of those platforms, while they provided articles on how to do it, we, we struggled to get it to work right. It, there was something that we were doing wrong in terms of actually placing the jar. We, we, you know, we used the Maven dependency plugin to actually extract the jars for the class path. Whatever happened, we didn't get it right. We couldn't get those technologies to work and they're, they're kind of black box in terms of looking at the actual failures. So the next step that we ended up taking, and this is bringing us up to the future and where we're going to go from here is we ended up setting up some infrastructure on, uh, we're running our stuff on Google Cloud Platform. And what we have working now is we actually took our performance tests we're extracting a, we're, we're creating a runnable jar or an executable jar in Maven. We're then packaging that executable jar inside of a Docker container. And we are using GCP, we're, we're using a, a cloud function, or for those who might be more familiar with AWS, a Lambda, to dynamically spin up a virtual machine instance run the container on that instance and the container ends up writing out logs to a mounted storage bucket, which you could then access the logs that are, or not, not the logs, but the, the actual load tests uh, reports that Gatling generates. You could then access those later from the bucket. So we're hooking that up to a scheduled message that fires in Google Cloud. So what happens is scheduler kicks off, message goes on a pub sub topic or an AWS speak, an SNS topic, gets consumed by a, a function or AWS speak, a Lambda. And then that function uses the cloud API to create a virtual machine that is configured to run the Docker container with parameters for the load test, and then take and then those reports get written out to a storage bucket to be publicly visible. So we're working on evolving that right now. We'll have a few scheduled jobs that fire off a message. Each message would have information about things like which which load test you want to run, how many users ramp up, so on and so forth. But to wrap everything up we wound up hitting a lot of the extra work that we had to do and a lot of the brick walls we ran into were really rooted in because we're not used it because all of these tools that are available are really predicated on using well understood standards using oer precluded us from being able to use those tools easily just by virtue of having to pull in a relatively large class path in order to handle that content. So we wound up taking matters into our own hands to stand something up. And, and even the thing that we did, amusingly enough, is actually converting it from OER to JSON because that's what that software library is actually designed to parse. 
Okay, cool. Well, sure. sounds like you guys have gotten quite far. Um, it's quite interesting you brought up the Orion coding because we also ran into that issue. So we were using um, uh, K6, which is a, a Go-based um, performance tester, low tester, but it's also got like a JavaScript um, like interface that you can use. Um, so what we ended up doing was that like we created like a, a dummy packet which would then feed into K6 and then we just created functions that would like manually um, change the bytes that you could set, then send over HTTP. Um, um, uh, the other question I had was, um, are you guys planning to, so would you guys run this like manually? So like you would have to set this up or would you guys plan to integrate it with um, GitHub? Because what, what we tried was that we try to do everything from um, GitHub. So like if you did a push to master or if someone, or the eventual idea was that like if someone wrote in like a pull request, like load test this for me, then it would be able to kick that, that process off. Good question. So I think the plan is to wire this into our, well, so fir first thing is to have a nightly job, which we get with the, the schedule, the Google Cloud scheduler. But to your point, if we wanted to run maybe a smaller performance test uh, at a, a, a build level, what we could do is set up permissions on the build pipeline to kick off a Google Cloud command to execute the function that we would need to run the load test. So we can still get a continuous, uh, continuous integration um, uh, wiring to, to work right by just using uh, Google Cloud command line utils to kick off the test that way, which, which the continuous integration pipeline is tied into GitHub activity anyway, because it's, it's issuing a build when something changes. Okay, cool. Um, so like some of the, the inspiration for like some of our thoughts were taken from Tech Empower. So like they, they do the, the, like the, um, the load testing of, of web frameworks. And um, I'll try to dig up the link again and, and post it somewhere. Um, but like, they, they spoke to, firstly, was like having test cases, which I think you guys have started on with like test scenarios. And then the other thing was also like giving consideration to like having like a dedicated server for your, your, your databases and then something else that will actually run your application. And then the third one that would actually run your load testing service. Um, because the issue that we ran into was that we were trying to run everything um, on one server and then we were getting varying results even though it was like the same code, the same um, scenario. Gotcha, okay. So yeah, I, if, if you wouldn't mind forwarding along any, anything you have in GitHub for what you did for load testing, I mean, e even if we didn't end up directly integrating it. It's still helpful to see what other people have done. I'm, I'm sure there are things that we haven't considered or, or implemented ourselves that are maybe set holding us back or, or causing us to do things in a less efficient way. So that would definitely be helpful. In our case, we end up 
we create, we, we have, we have virtual machines already set up that are running connector instances. So we have some dedicated resources there and the actual cloud function itself is spawning a separate virtual machine per load test. So if you were to kick off five different load tests, you would actually have five different virtual machines largely in the largely out of the motivation of we don't want to have load tests competing for resources on the same machine because it ends up skewing the results. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, it sounds pretty cool. So definitely, um, yeah, dig up the information and then send it your end. Quite keen to actually, yeah, um, see see what you guys have been doing. Sounds good. Don, I also think it would be great to um, synchronize somewhere. I mean, we, you could open issues in, in IOP performance if you want, or we could do it in a different repo if you have a better spot. But um, to sort of collect those st standardized tests, I'll call them. So I think I, the, what you see on IOP performance is basically just some topologies and you know thoughts that came out of our heads. But um, so it'd be great to have other other people in the community sort of like creating this shared source of tests that like we've all put thought into and, and we kind of know this is what we want to load test or performance test. Oh, that so sounds, that you, sounds good. Yeah, um, go yeah, I think like let's let's use the the repo that you already made. Um, it's up there. Um, we've already shared the link, so we can use that one. Great. Cool. Um, so Adrian had to drop. Um, so if there's nothing else on the um, the load testing stuff, I'd just like to give a quick update on the podcasting topic that Adrian um, had on the list. Cool. So Adrian said that um, uh, he's going to revitalize the ILP SoundCloud account and pay to get unlimited storage so then he can then um, upload it onto there um, yeah and that's about it that's great that's fine man I really cleared out the room with my uh, load test talk apologies thanks for the update on the podcast I will also talk to Adrian again because I already read some stuff about how to make a podcast out of SoundCloud stuff Okay, cool. Cool, thanks. Um, yeah, does anybody else have anything else to discuss? left. Going once, going twice. Cool, yeah, then thanks, guys. Thanks for joining in for this um, community call. Uh, the next call will be in two weeks which will be on the 5th of uh, February. Um, yeah, so we'll see you guys then again. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks, so.